Welcome to the Resurrection People podcast with Preston Sharp, pastor of Sacrament Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and curator of The Art of Preaching. Each week, we look at three readings from the Bible, drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. Find more at theartofpreaching.substack.com. Welcome back to the Resurrection People podcast. I'm Preston Sharp. Today is our Sunday benediction here on a little bit of a late evening on Sunday. And on Sundays, what we do is we look back on the readings of the week and we ask what this might speak to us. So today, we've, as we've looked at these readings together, we're reminded of the ways in which God's people are to be shaped in light of who God is, God's character. We are to be shaped as a people of remembrance, a people of running, a people of rescue, and a people of reconciliation. In our Old Testament reading, which comes from Exodus 12, 1 through 14, we hear God's invitation for Israel to celebrate the feast of their deliverance, even though their deliverance has not yet fully happened. They are to be shaped by deliverance, by the God who sets them free, the liberating God, rather than by the gods of Egypt. We see that their meal is to be eaten in a hurry as they prepare to run away from captivity and into freedom. In the Passover story, Pharaoh has a tough time letting go. He's unable to see God's creational purposes. He hangs on to his own purposes. Moses says, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, nah. It's difficult getting out of the old way of living and trusting in a new world. This story reminds us that the gods of Egypt will always fail. The gods of our world, the false gods, will always fail. We need a better story. We need to trust in the one true God. Exercising our faith in the one true God is really difficult because the gods of our world seem to promise so much and are so much easier to see. This way God's people are called to be formed, our habits are incredibly counterintuitive to the ways of the world. We've been so shaped by Egypt, in quotation marks, by our world, by the culture around us and its idolatry that to run away from it feels strange. We're just conditioned by it. We're so caught up in the latest conflicts of the day. It's difficult for us to truly remember who we are and what God has done for us. So Christian virtue is so difficult because our culture is not built on it. We live in a culture of vengeance and division. So reconciliation and forgiveness are difficult. As Pharaoh resisted, each of the gods systematically, each of the gods of Egypt were revealed as fakes. And this is what the plagues are all about. Systematically, each god, false god, is shown to be a fraud. So some examples here. The Egyptians trusted in the Nile River and its god called Hapi for ultimate fulfillment. So the first thing that happens, the first plague, is that the river turns to blood. The Egyptians trusted in the goddess Heket, who had a frog face. She represented fruitfulness in family life and in business. Well, fruitfulness can take a nasty turn if not in the right context. There's such thing as, a, as success that actually spoils frogs everywhere. Then there are gnats. This countered the god Seb. My pronunciations are not going to be right on this, but the god of the earth. Gnats are crazy because what they do is they basically interrupt your leisure. And the Egyptians were a leisurely people. 
So the gnats are the plague of losing your cool, of messing with you. The Egyptians trusted in this God who was a sacred scarab, like a, a flying bug or beetle, the God Kephara. And this plague of flies affected the environment, the land. Yet Israel's land was spared. God is showing that he is the one who is sovereign. Everything else is a shadow. The Egyptian gods Apis and Hathor were a bull and a cow. They provided possessions and wealth. Well, all of a sudden we see that goes away. The god Set was seen as the god of chaos and disorder. God takes the people's attention and focuses it directly on boils on each person. Think about when you have boils all over your body and so does everybody else. That's all you can focus on. It's interesting too, because this plague comes about when Moses and Aaron take ashes and throw them to the sky. Well, these ashes came from the kilns where they made bricks. So there's a kind of poetic justice here for the Israelites. The oppression of the Israelites has actually caused boils on Egypt. There's an anti-creational thing that has happened because of Pharaoh. And sin has manifested itself that way. The god Shu was the god of the atmosphere. The natural world is destroyed. Then there are locusts. Now get this. There was one particular Egyptian god, Senehem, who was seen as the protector from locusts. Like, this god had one job, and Senehem is failing at this one thing. The sun god Ra was incredibly central to the Egyptian religion, and all of a sudden we see the world goes dark. By darkening the earth, we see this demonstration that God is really the one true God, that the things in which the Egyptians have trusted ultimately, literally, go dark. Um, we see this superiority that is displayed over the king of Egypt, that there's darkness when there should be light. Finally, Yahweh says, on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. This is the only time that the Egyptian gods are mentioned explicitly. Now, this could be an address to the god Ptah, the god of life, or it could be just the final exposure of the emptiness of Egyptian religion. That these gods, these false gods, were who the Egyptians trusted in to take care of them, to take care of their way of life. So this is all being shown as hollow or a sham. The angel of death kills the firstborn in Egypt, which tragically reveals that trusting in gods that lead to oppression and violence has consequences. Okay, so we can easily look at this and we can go, well, yeah, those ancient people, the Egyptians, they believed in all these gods and we just know so much better now. Oh, they're so silly. They had a frog face God and this and that. But if we think about our lives and we think about how easily we prop up false gods for ourselves, it might make us go a little bit deeper. What are the things that we trust in for prosperity or security? So often, and the most obvious one is our political or cultural idols, that we really think if we get that team elected or that person elected, that that's really the hope for the world. But our false idols, whether it be politics or whether it be materialism or some sense of security that we have built ourselves or control or whatever it is, our false idols lead us toward darkness, towards counterfeits, or to exclude and oppress others. The good news, there's a better way. The one true God has rescued us 
and is shaping us and forming us by his grace. We are called simply to remember what God has done and who we are as his people because a new day of deliverance has dawned and we will one day see light in fullness. In our New Testament reading, Romans 13, 8 through 14, Paul calls the church to live in ways counter to the empire in which they find themselves. You can see the parallel with Exodus here. These are not merely moral commands that Paul gives, but a call to be shaped by rescue, by who God is and what God has done for them. The church can wake up from their sleep because their salvation is at hand. A new day has dawned. So they are to put away the things of darkness. We are to put away the things of darkness, which only lead to emptiness and destruction. And we're to wear not our pajamas, but the clothes of a new day by clothing ourselves with Christ. And our gospel reading, Matthew 18, 15 through 20, points us towards being a people of reconciliation. This is always the goal because this is who God is. When someone sins against someone else in the Christian community, the offended person, the aggrieved person can seek the offender's healing by making them aware of what they've done. If the offender doesn't listen, other members of the community are necessary to shed light on the situation. In extreme cases, even a group of gathered Christians needs to be involved. And in even more extreme situations, a person may be cut off from the community because their sin is actively tearing the community apart. Yet, Jesus reminds us the goal is always to regain the brother or sister. Our God is always working towards reconciliation. And Jesus promises he is always with his church, working through them, binding and loosing. So this week, May we be a people of remembrance, shaped by God through our habits and patterns of celebration. May we be a people of running, ready to leave what binds us and move towards freedom. May we be a people of rescue, who live differently because of who God is and what God has done for us. And may we be a people of reconciliation, knowing the God who brings all things together in him. Thanks for listening to the Resurrection People podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review to help us get the word out. You can hear full sermons at sacramentchurch.com and find out more at theartofpreaching.substack.com.